To be a yogi. I'm Edward Reeb, producer and host of the To Be a Yogi podcast. Today, I'll be interviewing Charlotte I. Nui. She is the creator and host of the Mindful Revolution Summit, which is happening right now. In this episode, we discuss meditation, mindfulness, Buddhism, activism, Tiknyatan, please pardon the pronunciation, as well as Hatha Yoga, and some deep inner exploration in general. And so, without further ado, let's get to that interview, shall we? Hello, welcome to the To Be a Yogi podcast. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm great, Edward. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. I've been enjoying the mindful revolution. I am so happy to hear that it has uh, has resonance for you. It's a great way to wake up. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. You know, I woke up this morning and, you know, did two of the interviews with some of our experts and, um, you know, finished around like noon and was like, wow, I'm like really ready to take on the day, you know, and just, yeah, it was almost good. Like an ex- right. It's almost like an extended meditation session almost. <laughs> yeah. I found myself doing yoga while I was watching and listening. It was good. Mm, so happy to hear that. <laughs> so, um, first of all, um, I, I mentioned my weird question about, uh, asking your name and the meaning of your name. Mm, yeah. What's in a name, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is actually a really loaded question for me um, because I was born with multiple names in Mm -hmm. the same way that I was born with multiple tongues. Um, I come from a family of Vietnamese refugees, Mm -hmm. refugees from the Vietnam War, and um, I, I carry a lot of different heritages, uh, mainly from Southeast Asia, but I was born with two names. The first name was, or is, my Vietnamese name, which is I. It's spelled A-I, just, you know, Roman letters, and it's a really ancient word for love in Vietnamese. It's not really used in common parlance, but you'll see it sometimes in literature. How cool. Yeah, yeah, and Um, I'm not familiar with other Asian languages, but I've been told that it's also the word for love in Chinese and in Japanese. So there's some... Nice. Must be a very old root word. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, in in some ways, you know, these languages have, um, have connections to each other and, you know, as languages move around and migrate, you know, so too does the pronunciation and spelling and things like that. But yeah, that is one of my names and the other name is Charlotte Mm -hmm. and um, Charlotte is by origin a French name Mm -hmm. and the reason why my parents chose it is when they first had me they they spoke pretty good English they went to school and, and everything but they didn't quite have a grasp of what was a popular American name for girls, right? (laughs) What they actually did was they went to the Los Angeles Public Library and they borrowed a book of uh, baby names, really. And they just scrolled through the names for about a week. And the 
only names that they recognized were French names because, you know, we're Vietnamese and there's, um, you know, Vietnam was formerly a French colony. And so a lot of like our language is in French, mm-hmm. and things like that. And they, they learn French in school. My family speaks French. So when they chose the names, a lot of it was like Rose, a lot of it was like Madeleine. And one of the names was Charlotte or Charlotte. And they really liked it. And they, they, that's what they chose. And it's really interesting because I didn't know until probably I was 12 or 13 that Charlotte, when you like really redact it in its original French, is a rough translation of petite and feminine. Hmm. Are, <laughs> um, I know you can't see me, but I'm actually <laughs> four foot nine. It's descriptive. Oh, I, I, it's descriptive, yeah. And I'm, I'm very comfortable in my femininity. You know, that's I, I would describe yeah. myself as feminine, and I'm I'm quite petite. I'm I'm technically a little person, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it just worked out, and um, it's it's interesting because. Only very recently, I've been telling my friends and my family that they can actually choose either name to call mm. me, you know, whatever. Yeah, to, and, and, and letting them know that they can feel free to interchange because that's what I've been doing my whole life. But it's I've like kept it a secret almost. Yeah. That when I'm with my, you know, quote unquote, American friends or whatever, like I don't tell them my Vietnamese name and in my family, um, you know, they they don't even know that Charlotte is my like quote unquote American name. So yeah, it's it's kind of fun. You like hold these dual identities. Yeah. With dual names. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. You're just born into the world with two identities. This is who you are. Be confused. Exactly. Confused <laughs> and also Welcome to the world. <laughs> yeah, but also like embrace the conflict. Yeah. Almost, you know, that yeah you know, Asian American or German American, whatever, like you don't need to, I spent most of my life trying to be one or the other and kind of code switching between one or the other. And now I'm at a place where like, well, why don't I just create this awesome third space called Asian American where I can create my own set of rules and norms, you know? So yeah, the, the, the name thing is very, (laughs) yeah. I I love how it feels like the, the old, like Asian root word for love is so deep and meaningful. And then the surface, it's appropriate that it's just outwardly descriptive and, and, you know, about your appearance kind of, and your, how you're relating to the world in in this life, as opposed to the more, the much more deep name. It's just, yeah, it's interesting. That I never thought about it that way. Yeah. (laughs) And, And French is a new language relative to, you know, apparently probably the, the earliest usage of I, Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, dictionaries, you know, I don't know who published that book that my parents borrowed from the LA public (laughs) library. I don't know how accurate that interpretation is, but, um, yeah, definitely interesting to juxtapose. And then your last name. Mm. My last name, um, for those who are like familiar with Vietnamese communities is Nguyen. It's spelled N G U Y E N. And it's the most common family name for the Vietnamese diaspora. And it's actually interesting because I've, I've spent a considerable amount of time trying to do research about the meaning of the name. I've asked like my parents, tons of people, and, and no one really has an answer. The, 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 the main 
my main findings about that name are that it has a root in um, a, a Chinese name. And somewhere during the imperial dynasty, that Chinese name transformed into Nguyen. And some, somehow, somewhere, <laughs> that name just got trickled down to the rest of the population. And, and I would say, um, you'll, you'll have to quote, you'll, you'll have to kind of fact check this, but I think, <laughs> it, I think like at least 60 to 70% of Vietnamese folks around the world have that name. It's like the 57th most popular name in, um, the United States, the 57th most popular last name in France. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. It's, it's like the, the, the unifier among Vietnamese folks. I guess it's kind of like a Smith or a Garcia. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So when did you first, did you, were you always meditating? You know, I, the first time I meditated was when I was seven years old my mother took me to our local Buddhist monastery. My mother's side of the family is Buddhist, and my father's side of the family is Roman Catholic. Mm -hmm. But they've always been very harmonious in terms of me and my brother and, and going in and out of religious spaces. Uh, but my mother took me to the monastery for the first time when I was seven, and that is where I sat down and saw everyone around me meditating and decided to just imitate what I saw. You know, I just saw them breathing. It looked like they were pretty calm. So I just tried to sit there and be calm as well and just breathe. <laughs> How cool. Yeah. It was the first time I meditated. And then afterwards, you know, my grandfather would take me to the temple probably once a month. And that was where we would meditate together, just um, on the floor or on the pews, on some cushions. And you, you know, it's, it's, I, obviously it wasn't any like formal training, but it is something that was it's something that I d developed since I was very young and was just part of my tradition and, and what I did. Um, I, I would say I started my formal training when I was around, um, 16 or so mm -hmm. I decided to go on my first retreat it was a youth retreat and that was where that was that was, it was a it was a youth retreat for young asian american um dharma practitioners mm -hmm. um and yeah that was the first time i like actually received formal instruction from like a, a monk or a lama on cool. meditation yeah super interesting so um you mentioned Lama. So was it of different forms of Buddhism? Yeah, um, I would say predominantly Mahayana Buddhism. And uh, it draws also a little bit from Theravada Buddhism. And it's kind of championed by a Zen teacher by the name of Thich Nhat Hanh, or if you anglicize it, Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and he has really been a leader in the engaged Buddhism movement, which is a term that he coined, and it really promotes the individual's active role in creating change. And so that for me is a has always been part of my tradition and my practice. And, you know, to I, I know a lot of people, they, you know, come in and out of different traditions, but that has always been like kind of a steady practice for me like that. That tradition has always resonated with me, particularly because 
there's so much, um, I think historically Buddhists in Vietnam have been very engaged with the community. They've always, you know, the Buddhist community has always been very engaged in different resistance struggles and, you know, we're very active in the decolonial period and very active, very outspoken during the Vietnam war and have just always been champions for peace and for justice and equality. And there's something about that that always spoke to me in my spirit. That makes me think of uh, the the second guest on the first day of the Mindful Revolution, Lama Rod Owens, talking mm-hmm. about um, activism and Buddhism and and radical Dharma. Yes, yeah, and it it's really exciting to me that Dharma communities or just practitioners of mindfulness are starting to ask this question. At least in in the Western world, how do we take our practice off of the cushion? Because mm-hmm. it's it's been my experience that um, Dharma communities, mindfulness communities can be very oriented towards comfort. And we kind of forget, and perhaps this is due to just like the boom of spirituality that has sort of happened in the past 10 years or so Mm -hmm. as, as wellness and spirituality gets commercialized and capitalized that we, we forget that the central aim of mindfulness has always been to the protection and to the safety and to the liberation of all beings. Mm. And I think that's kind of why I've been put on this planet to be a bridge between ancient wisdom and the way that my ancestors have practiced um, and modern wisdom today you know, and being a bridge between a, a, a mindfulness bridge, really, um, and bringing that liberatory mindfulness into this mindful revolution that is happening currently in, in I would say, the Western world. That's beautiful. I, I It's making me think of adding Vietnam to my itinerary. <laughs> I would support that wholeheartedly. <laughs> I'd like beyond, to experience that. Yeah, I mean, beyond just being a really incredible place culturally you know the, the food the sites historically it's a really packed place too um lots of influences from different cultures you know the french the japanese you know when when we were um, occupied by the japanese obviously the chinese you know a little bit of russian americans obviously so it's it's just a really interesting place historically and and by and large the vietnamese have been a very feisty people you know we're very friendly um, very warm you know um we in in general at least this is my experience we we, we're not prone to conflict but when it comes to like standing up for what we believe in yeah and you know that i mean i I'm, i'm sure you all have seen the um the the photograph of the buddhist monk burning himself on fire yeah setting himself on fire as an act of sacrifice because of the religious oppression that the Buddhist community was experiencing um, by the French and by um, Vietnamese government officials who were sympathetic towards the French and kind of, you know, persecuting Buddhist communities, Taoist communities, um, and and kind of encroaching Christianity onto them. And, you know, I, I, it's, it's, I, I've always taken a lot of pride in the resilience of, you know, my community and, and, you know, 
the refugees that came here, you know, my mother came here when she was 14 years old on a fishing boat. You know, I, I were it not for the resilience of a 14 year old girl, I, I wouldn't be here today. You know, when they, when the Vietnamese community came here, they somehow found a way to just heal and move on. And, and that's why I have the life that I have now where I get to be in service to people. So much, just a lot of gratitude for that in my heart and a lot of pride for that in my heart. That's beautiful. <laughs> so the mindful revolution, I'm, I'm curious about how, I mean, where, so between the Buddhist practice when you were young and the mindful revolution that started a few days ago, what's the bridge? What? <laughs> <Without> a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this wasn't always. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher of mindfulness meditation now. It's what mm -hmm. I've been. It's what I do full time. But for the past decade, I would say, I was working in the nonprofit sector. You know, I, I kind of explained my 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 history, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I've. I, I knew from a very, very young age that I was called to just like make the world a better place, you know, and I've um, since a young age, like was really interested in questions of social justice and social change and how to create, how to create social change. And I decided when I was going into my undergrad that I wanted to study, go to school in DC so I could, you know, truly be in the epicenter of change. And my whole goal, my whole thing was to become this like nonprofit professional and make my way up, you know, this nonprofit ladder because that's what I thought that, that that's the only path to change that was given to me. That was the only really like option given to me, like work for nonprofits, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, that's what I did. I entered a bunch of places, you know, I worked for the United Nations, I worked for Amnesty International, you know, and for for a while, like my I thought my resume was like you know turning out to be pretty good. But then when I when I was around like I want to say twenty three in my early 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 twenties, I just was completely burnt out. I mean, just you know, it, it's such a norm within the nonprofit industry that people are overworked and underpaid, yeah. and you know, maybe it was just the organizations I work for, but I wasn't really seeing a lot of change because, we, you know, they were spending a lot of time, you know, pleasing donors and, and you know, making all sorts of, like, compromise. So I, you know, I, in, in a nutshell, I would say that I was told that the nonprofit industry would be this, like, silver bullet. And that's why I devoted all my time to it. But I just became depleted in the process. I was incredibly unhealthy. And I decided that I, I needed to leave and explore other options for how I could be of service and make the world a better place. And so I, you know, took some time to meditate on it. I went to a number of, you know, number of meditation retreats. And I thought to myself, what a shame that there are so many people out there within the nonprofit industry, within the social change space, who want to serve others, who want to make the world a better place, but can't seem to do so in ways that are freeing and sustaining. And so I just, why is there such a pattern that people who are once very passionate about what they did just get burnt out and resign when organizations just don't have the structure and culture in place to support the emotional, spiritual, 
mental, physical well-being of its people. And so I thought to myself, what is one way that I have been able to stay grounded through all of this? What's a way that, that what's a tool that I've used in my life to, um, find the strength really to continue helping other people and still finding sanctuary within myself, finding ways to care for myself. And the first thing that came to mind for me was my meditation practice. And through all the, the, you know, the my, my early young adult life was filled with like a lot of trauma and a lot of abuse. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll share vulnerably a little bit, you know, when I was, you know, 16, you know, my, my partner at the time, my romantic partner at the time, you know, the, the first person I ever loved, he ended up, you know, committing suicide. And as a 16 year old, like, I'm so sorry. you know, what, what, how, how can you even begin to comprehend pain like that? You know, and as a young, as a young person, I remember thinking to myself, this is going to be a very difficult life. You know, I, I knew even then that I would have to bloom in very muddy waters, right? And the only salvation I had was my meditation practice, that inner sanctuary. Um, and some, you know, as a young person, I, I couldn't meditate more than probably 10 minutes because it just was too much. But at least I had that, you know. And, you know, when, when I left the nonprofit industry, basically I, I reflected on it for many, many months And I realized that my mindfulness practice has always been there for me. And I wanted to give that gift to other people so that they can feel strengthened to fight these very brave and necessary fights for social change and also do it as happier and healthier people. And so I started a creative business called Get Free, which... Um, helps social change agents and organizations become more inspired and emotionally healthy through mindfulness meditation. And um, to kind of launch that uh, venture, that creative venture, that new chapter in my professional life, I wanted to give a gift to the world. Basically, I wanted to just like come out of come out of the woodwork and say, universe, this is what I'm doing. This is what I was put on the planet to do. Let me see how I can do it in the biggest way possible. Um, but also in a way that is like budget friendly because I just like, I just left my job and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I reach the, the most amount of people um, and do it in a way that with no money, <laughs> no <laughs> money, like seriously. Right. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, well, the internet. Um, and I'm like, I am a, a card carrying millennial. I am, <laughs> you know, I, I am it, you know, very like driven, very entrepreneurial. You know, I'm, I'm on social media all the time, but I'm using it to like connect with people. Yeah. So to like, look at cool things, you know, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very much, you know, in that generation. And I wanted to, to harness, um, you know, the power of, of, um, of the online community essentially to bring people together yeah. and to create a platform in which we could really, I, I think number one, dig, dig deep and talk about the ways that trauma and pain and oppression and suffering is impacting our world. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's no, 
it shouldn't come to any to as a surprise to anyone right now that I, I think there are times when our present world can seem really drenched in pain and suffering and just given over to the darker corners of the human spirit. You know, I the news and fight the urge to feel cynical or lost and the recent events in our country, you know, with Charlottesville, with Ferguson and, and you know, police brutality and, and oh, it just it, it's really shaken me to my core, Edward. And yeah. perhaps they have for you, too. And, and as a practitioner, as a spiritual seeker, I think it's important that we consider that these are the times that we have been practicing for. Yeah. And that our spiritual practice has a lot of wisdom to offer us in, in tumultuous times like these. And so just seeing a need right now, perhaps more than ever for healing in our community, I, I wanted to support the world in doing the inner healing work that's needed to engage in this divided world and continue these really brave and necessary fights. And so I created the mindful revolution mm -hmm. It's called the Mindful Evolution Meditation as Our Path to Heal, Organize, and Dream. And it's a free, two-week, artistic, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual online gathering for us to do the inner work it takes to get free. And um, the, the kind of tagline is through, through meditating, reflecting, dreaming, facing who we are, who we have been, and who we might become we aim to start a spiritual revolution that will reverberate throughout our lives and communities. Mm. And so, and it's two to three interviews a day for 15 days uh, for 10 days, for 10 including days. weekends. Yeah. But essentially the summit provides you with 20 really heart centered conversations through live webinar. And all of the topics have a special focus on the themes of healing self-care and liberation through mindful teachings and there are um, you know 20 spiritual leaders wellness experts conscious artists that i'm interviewing um who are all devoted to the personal and emotional health growth and liberation of our community i'm hoping to interview diane on here she's listening i sent you an email <laughs> I, I enjoyed the uh, the ayurvedic practitioner uh yesterday there's yeah. um there was someone talking about the artist way a couple days ago yes yeah i mean it, it's it's incredible to when you really dig deep into the work of mindfulness you see just all the ways that it can touch our lives you know not, it's not just the spiritual practice it's also like there's intersections between mindfulness and creative expression. There's intersections between mindfulness and social action. And for me, like that, that to me is the sweet spot. Yeah. Like, like that is where I, I hope I will be existing in for the rest of my life and doing work in for the rest of my life. The intersections between spiritual practice, creative expression and social action. And so some of the topics that we've been um, exploring together, and you mentioned a couple of them, Edward, are, um, you know, breaking the norms and um, reclaiming love as a strategy for social action. We've talked about creative self-care and using mindful expression to unleash our hearts. We've talked about mindful eating. Um, and, you know, we had an Ayurvedic 
practitioner talk to us about like, what does it mean to eat mindfully? Like, what is the connection between the, the foods that we eat and our emotional states? Um, some topics that will be coming up are, one is, um, one that comes to mind is unlearning isolation and how to bring in our community and bring in our beloveds closer in times of crisis and not kind of going into our corner and being distressed about the state of the world. Um, we'll also be talking about uh, language alchemy and mindful communication. And yeah, yeah. And, you know, alchemizing the power of conflict and how to maintain skillful action and compassionate awareness during really difficult conversations, right? And especially when talking about like really really polarizing topics like oppression and privilege. How do we go into those conversations with courage and with an open heart, right? And with a, a, a mutual commitment to help reduce harm in our world, you know, in our world and for the person that you're communicating with, right? Um, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of mindfulness is definitely a buzzword right now. I'm sure you've noticed, <laughs> Everyone, you know, mindfulness, wellness, authenticity, and I, I think well, it's a uh, good thing. It, it, it's yeah. like packaging the word meditation for people who, you know, associate that with strange foreign religious practices. Mm, yes, basically. exactly. It's yeah, like a yeah, psychology word for that. Right, right, exactly. And I, I think it's a for us practitioners, the 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 um, the, our, our kind of call to action really is to find that balance between making it accessible to people mm-hmm. so that this really healing work can reach as many people as possible from different walks of life, but also to um, honor the integrity and the depth of these practices that are really based in ancient wisdom, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah, and to really really be a, a, a bridge, you know, um, and to do so with, with integrity. So my, my hope is that, you know, my, my aim when I was searching for speakers for this was people who really understood the connection between personal liberation and collective liberation, that we cannot talk about freeing the collective until we free ourselves and put the oxygen mask on yourself when the plane's crashing (laughs) exactly right before you put it on your children (laughs) exactly yeah but also recognizing that like yes i'm putting on my mask but if i don't have the um assurance if i don't have the ease of mind that my child sitting next to me is not okay then i can't possibly feel okay either you know it's it's kind of (laughs) Yeah, it's paradoxical. Analogy makes makes sense, right? Like, yes, put on the mask first, but like, like I'm still going to be that mom who's attending, right, to the well-being. Yeah, I guess that kind of makes me think of what you were saying about in times of crisis. Maybe for in some cases, like a temporary isolation, just long enough to take some deep breaths and meditate and reflect on what's going on, but (laughs) then get up and go back and engage with the people, your loved ones. Coming, having put on your oxygen mask, <laughs> having taken well, that moment to reflect and yeah, yeah, it's, it's yes, exactly, yeah, and I, I think there's there's a there's a 
a difference between solitude and isolation. I think that solitude can be, is very necessary um, to our growth. We need to take that time for introspection and contemplation and to prepare ourselves for, for the world. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, and, and, and all that comes with, with living this life and walking this path. Um, But that like, flourishing as someone who you know identifies as being introverted it's really hard for me to know the the difference between solitude and isolation because I'm so comfortable in my solitude that you know like when I'm struggling I my tendency is just to go into my head and to try to do all this problem solving on my own and like go in my corner and do self-care, right? right. But I, I often forget that you can do this work of self-care and self-love with community and that bringing in your beloveds closer can actually help with that flourishing, yeah. you know, makes it more possible, I think. Yeah. <laughs> For the lucky one. <laughs> I've heard some people talk about their families and I go, Oh my God, stay away from your family. <laughs> you know, but it's like in most cases, <laughs> yeah, you want to have your family yeah, around. Blood family and blood family. Can right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah fam- family is like the, the most packed thing that anyone can talk about. It's the yeah. most hated form of love. I, I think it is the hardest love to practice. Yeah. It has the greatest potential for, yeah. for, for love. I think. Oh, or yes. hate. <laughs> it's so, oh my gosh. It, it's uh, interesting. Like, I feel like my ethic on love is tested the most when I'm yeah, with her. Yeah. You know, but I, I, I say all these things, you know, about my values and what I stand for. Like, you, you know, like I'm going to do whatever I want in this world and I'm going to, you know, stand in my truth and live out my passion and, you know, and, and who, and not seek anyone else's affirmation. And then when I'm at like a family party and people are like asking me questions about what I do and like not getting it because I'm not like a, or a lawyer, I get really hurt. I'm yeah. like, stand like, it's like, I want their validation because they're my family. <laughs> it's it's like, natural. Yeah. Oh, it is the most complicated. Yeah. Everything yeah. I think I know about who I am, like my family asks me, to like continue digging deeper, you know, I don't I know if that, that's, if that comes up for you too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, most of my family's already on the other side of the veil, but I, mm. I think that there's, um, there's something there with, you know, various, I guess, religious practices, you could say of, of relating to a God or God or goddess as mother or father, you know, as the supporting one, as the, as the supportive uncle, you know, um, Ganesh, you know, what, whoever it is that can put their arms around you and, you know, that kind of being included as part of one's spiritual communion in some form or another. I, I think that's usually healthy. I, I like to, um, in my yoga classes, I like to bring awareness to the idea of um, placing the thumbs up against the sternum and how in, I forget the Sanskrit word, but that's called the Sea of Tranquility, and it has the, the a similar effect of getting a hug, and if you kind of allow it to happen, it can, you know, from a, everybody's all sciencey, so you say it generates oxytocin, um, 
or good vibes, depending on whether you're coming from one end of the spectrum or the other. Yeah, I love I, I, I love that we're talking about hugs because I, <laughs> I like I you know I, I talk about all these things like you know like oppression and undoing violence, but like I've you know I'm I'm a really lighthearted person and I, <laughs> I I really live in the cloud the clouds a lot of the times too, and I've I've been actually doing some reading around hugs. And um, just like hugging someone for twenty minutes, twenty minutes. Oh, that's, 20 minutes. <laughs> that's quite a hug. Well, that's, that's quite a hug. That's Inappropriate for the workplace. Next level yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not there yet in my life. <laughs> We're doing a workshop. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> seconds. <laughs> oh my god. That's that's so fun. I can't remember the last time I hugged someone for twenty. Right. Like I've been in, you know, like, wow. Um, but yeah, just like hugging someone for twenty seconds can release, and just like breathing into the hug can release all sorts of like oxytoxins you were talking about, and can yeah. seriously change the chemistry of our body. It's incredible. Yeah. So true. Yeah, just simple things like that, you know. Um, we, I think we really tend to forget the impact of small things like that, you know, that from like a very physiological level can actually change our mood and, and literally make us happier, you know, and it, yeah, that like finding happiness or moments of happiness in our lives doesn't need to like be this big thing, right. healing. Yeah, like, with, with some kind like, of soundtrack crescendo climax of the, the third act surprise. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> it's like you know, literally, just like going on a twenty-minute run, or like you know, hugging someone, yeah, bring that joy into our lives. And I, I, something I've been thinking about a lot, and I don't know if this shows up for you too, is that like liberating work should feel liberating. Yeah. <laughs> right. That that it like obviously we know it's hard because our shadows come up, and we're you know. Uh, Unlearning yeah. our conditioning. We, we can make it hard for ourselves. Yes, yes. Yeah. Facing our fears, yes. We but it seems like also there's an external force that's almost conspiratorial that's like, oh, you're a generous, giving soul. Well, let me drain the life out of you and put you mm -hmm. in this machine over here so you don't cause any actual good in the world. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's really easy to, to, to think that way, right? Yeah. yeah. And we, we forget like to bring joy into the process and bring play into the practice. And I, I think that's why creative expression is so important to me when I'm doing this work. Um, you know, especially when we're dealing with really intense things like our traumas, right. That like hold space for the, 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 the hard stuff, the rocky stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and do it with people you love, but like also let it be fun. Right. Um, that's possible, you know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Just something I've been thinking about a bit. I think for the really hard stuff, maybe a little bit of isolation. There was um, someone uh, interviewed uh, an author on a different podcast, Ian Baker, who was talking about the private sessions with the Dalai Lama, where the Dalai Lama had recommended that he go off into the forest as far away from, from it, people as he can so where no one can hear him and then allow himself to kind of become that really angry person or become that really, you know, it, all these sort of inner forces that, that we that we try to hold back and resist and then kind of let it play out and then you're exhausted and your throat's sore and you're like okay well <laughs> i'm gonna go back home now you know and, and and it's no longer something that you're 
um, holding back at something you've allowed yourself to expect. There's, I think sometimes there's a place for that, you know. I think a good retreat with, with like an acting workshop kind of thing where it's like, okay, now we're going to scream, ah, you know, in a mm-hmm. healthy way, kind of let those things out. Yeah, that's a really important thing to con- to consider. And I, I think I think in the times in my life where I've, you know, gone into intense periods of solitude, like I was ready for that. And yeah. I, I had built up a levy, a foundation to be able to be in solitude. Um, and I, I wasn't particularly going through anything like really intense where I like need, you know, I, I, I needed the love of community. Um, I, I think it's just knowing yeah. when it's right and when it's healthy for you, you know, yeah. and you're going into isolation. Um, like what, what is the purpose of it? Because, you know, for some people they go into isolation because they don't think that they're worthy of love and yeah. that fix themselves before they're able to like go out into the world, you know? Um, right. Like that's, that's not healthy, but if you're going into isolation so that you can become, you, you can, you can meet your anger, your angry self, you can meet your, your tormented self, your chaotic self in the safety of isolation. So you're yeah. not buddy like that to me is like liberation. Yeah. Yeah. It's like going through withdrawals or something. Yeah. Right. Where you're like meeting the insanity of your mind and like that, you know, the, <laughs> that to me is something, you know, when I, when I sort of gone into solitude for that purpose, like, I was ready for that, yeah. you know, um, and and knew the the risk involved in doing that. That, that if, if I were to do that in isolation, I wouldn't hurt anybody, right. you know, in that exploration, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to go into kind of an isolated, I don't even know exactly, I mean, just going to Nepal, going to Bhutan, going to all these places, it won't be isolated in the sense that I'll be surrounded by people and I'll be meeting new people, so... But I'm in, in a way, I feel like because everybody here is like, oh, but where are you going? Why are you going? I'm going to miss you. I'm not everybody, but a lot of people. And mm-hmm. so I kind of feel like I'm re- withdrawing into an isolated place. But I think that's an illusion. I think <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. when you go off the grid, the people who are stuck on the grid think that you're disappearing forever. Like the, from a two-dimensional plane, you can't tell what a sphere is. It just looks like it's going right. away. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's yeah. what it is. I'm yeah. canceling my Time Warner. What? I'm not dying. I'm just, you know, like, turning off my phone for a year, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's like there's so many other ways to feel someone's presence and access someone's presence. Yeah. Y'all like sight right right (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, no absolutely like you know there are people that I invoke all the time who are like not who are in the invisible realm yeah and like I think that's just the beauty of having a spiritual practice like I am a huge I'm a firm firm believer that everyone has to take time every day for spiritual practice. And that can mean anything to you. That can mean, you know, going to dance class. That can mean yoga. That can mean meditating. That can mean like literally praying. But yeah. like, you know, what I mean by spiritual practice is something that helps you touch the bigness of life. Yeah. Right? And, and, and helps you kind of like transcend the mundane or like revitalize the mundane. 
even yeah. like watching for me like watching a science video about the universe or galaxies or something like that will take me to a, a spiritual place it sounds kind of ironic it's science versus religion or whatever but <laughs> science can oh, can be a, a way of connecting to spirit too exactly right and yeah i've i've i don't know why why i brought that up yeah like in cultivating a spiritual practice you refortify you you kind of invoke the parts of our consciousness that don't get used because yeah. you know modern society is really good at just pulling energy away from the neocortex <laughs> yeah yeah that's it in a nutshell right yeah. stay, stay confused in your subconscious mind with all these apps running in the background so your phone doesn't yeah. work <laughs> they're really good at conditioning us since birth into siphoning off that those parts of ourselves yeah. that think bigger that right that right. can transcend because once we tap into those abilities we start asking questions we start ask demanding more out of life and out of you know and and start thinking about humanity and that's not going to help us make this product so that <laughs> This company can sell more money. Yeah, the algorithm says that the marketing research is definitely not in favor of that. <laughs> yeah, probably not in favor. Yeah, right. It's all hail the algorithm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right? And what we do when we practice, when we come back into our spiritual home, is we 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 say that no, life is is meant for more than this. Right, yeah. that I won't be bamboozled yeah. <laughs> and tricked into being made, you know, as a means to an end. That you are worth more than your productivity, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's really powerful. <sighs> that, that to me is, is radical, you know. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, for people who are um, listening to this shortly after, or even maybe today, um, right now, what day is it? It's September something, yeah. right? Seventh, yeah, Thursday, September the seventh, and mm -hmm. the Mindful Revolution is going until the fifteenth, right? Yes, Friday the fifteenth. So we've got a, a whole week of content left. And what's the what's the website they can go to for that? Yeah, you're going to want to go to www.themindfulrevolutionsummit.com, nice. and it's completely free to access. All you have to do is submit your first name and your email, and that's it. Yeah, oh, cool. um, and. Um, you'll just be getting uh, an email like every morning just with the links to each day's talk, um, to the, the links to the interviews for that day, as well as the links to playback videos from the day before. So, nice. yeah, and if, if you, for whatever reason, you're not able to make it um, be present for the talks next week, um, the playback videos will be available for uh, an entire week after that. So, yeah, just go ahead and sign up and yeah, just would love for each and every one of you listening to be part of this mindful revolution, not just for yourselves, but for your families, your communities. And, you know, what, what do you have to lose, right? right. It, and receiving free wisdom, free stories, free guidance, you yeah. know? <laughs> How cool. I love, I love the diversity. I love the different perspectives and points of view and approaches toward mindfulness and meditation. Yeah, yeah, a big um, component. I wouldn't say that this is something that I like said, I have to do this. It just happened naturally. Mm -hmm. um, the entire lineup of 20, at this point, 23 speakers, um, they're all people of color and the majority mm -hmm. of them are actually women of color. And it's just really neat because um, 
you know, for, I I think, I thought it was important to invoke the leadership of people of color within the wellness space, Mm because, you know, we talk about topics in wellness that, you know, probably wouldn't be like published in like, you know, yoga journal or like mindful magazine or something, you know, just like, it just brings a a mental dimension, a multidimensional perspective into wellness that I think can benefit all. You know? Yeah, there's yeah. like some some things that people can relate with about feeling awkward in certain kinds of yoga studios that are run yeah. by apparently a holes. I'm fortunate to have not <laughs> at least witnessed those kinds of situations of of discrimination, and, but that's that's awful that that in a yoga environment that that kind of thing should go on. Yeah, Diane Bondi, she is a personal hero of mine. She is a yoga for all warrior and advocate, and I would say in the body positive. Um, size inclusive yoga movement. She's it, you know, she has yeah. been guard of that movement. And, you know, I, I think sometimes people tend to, when we try to bring up these conversations, people try to like derail the conversation and say like, well, we, we should keep it positive. Like, why are you always going to bring up the negative stuff? And it's like, no, having this conversation will like make your yoga studio, your practice, your community better. Like trust yeah. will elevate the vibration of yeah. your video of your Dharma community. If we have this conversation, it, I hope that's, you know, something yeah. that, we that, to. that makes so much sense. I mean, you have to go through, sometimes you have to go through the darkness to get to the light. Mm. You have to, you have to process something, you know, it's like saying, I don't want to go for the run. I just want the euphoria. So give me drugs. You know, I mean, yeah. that's basically like what it's saying is mindfulness as uh, the new opiate, you know, like, you, Oh, TV's not working anymore. Sure. Come over here and, and be mindful in a closet and, and be ineffective. <laughs> yes. Right. And, and, and what is the depth of that peace or clarity or balance that you think you're experiencing if it's on the backs of someone else, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, in, in Hatha practice and I, you know, I, I try to practice yoga as often as I can and Hatha pro- practice that they have you stay in poses for like a really long time. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's always going to be a point when you're holding that pose where you're, it's going to be super uncomfortable and your mind is going to tell you that you, you need to quit, that it's, you're not going to be able to make it through, that it's too uncomfortable. It's too unsettling. And as soon as you get through that couple seconds of, I can't do this, I can't do this. Then you start to feel at ease. Mm-hmm. It relaxes. Yeah. Then yeah. you go deeper into the pose. And I, I like to use that analogy when talking about um, inclusion work and diversity work and justice work in our spiritual communities because it's going to get uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but if we don't go through that intense period of this is messy, this is, this is, this, I feel crappy, I'm so uncomfortable, if we don't get through that period, we can't go deeper into that pose. We can't go deeper as a community. You know, like it might be easier if you kind of like just do the pose haphazardly and not push and not challenge, but we want to go deeper, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of how I, how I like to think about it. You know, everyone gets elevated when, when we have conversations about how to reduce suffering in our world, how to heal people's pain. Um, And we all have a part to play in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm. Thank you so much for being our guest on the To Be a Yogi podcast today. 
Oh my gosh, Edward, it is my pleasure. And I just want to celebrate and honor you for giving, yeah, for giving people a platform to share their, their stories. You know, there was a time. Yeah, thank you. There, there, There was honestly, you know, a time in my life, many times in my life where I felt like I wasn't being heard, you know, that the, 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 the work I was trying to do that my voice, it, it didn't matter, you know? So when someone shoots me an email and it's just like, Hey, how can I support? Or yeah, like, love the work you're doing. How can I help? <laughs> yeah, right? It's just like, wow. Like it, it, I'm, I'm so glad I, 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 I stuck around in this life to do this, you know, that I, I went through whatever, I needed to go through so I could step into my power. Um, and that like people like you remind me that I'm not alone. So thank you. Yeah. For holding space. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anything, um, any parting thoughts or words before we close or do you, do you want to say a prayer or, uh, yeah, there are some really activism or something. Yeah. So there's, um, uh, Lama Rod Owens has an organization called Radical, Radical Dharma. Dharma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's also the Buddhist Peace Fellowship. Um, there's also Sangha in Our Streets. And um, I would just really encourage people to follow, to read like anything that Thich Nhat Hanh has like written or like, uh, yeah. Like, cause I, I, I think like it's really important before we, talk about like social justice in Buddhism to just like have an understanding of like what is compassion, yeah. <laughs> what is right. Like, and, and like build that foundation for compassion and loving kindness first. You know, something I would like to say if you're like still kind of on the fence about what this event is about and you know, if it's meant for you, I would really recommend this summit if you are struggling with just like the weight of the world right now and just need some support because there's a lot going on. I would attend this event if you feel a stirring in your heart or in your soul to provide a genuine light in the world. Um, you know, I would be part of this event if you want, if you've been thinking about wanting to build practices for self love and self care, but don't know where to start. I would be part of this event if you want to discover new spiritual practices to guide you along your path wherever you may be. And I would join this event if you want to create more space for joy in your life, because that unto itself is a revolutionary act. Um, and I think everyone deserves to feel more hope and gratitude. Um, and acceptance in their life on a daily basis. And so, you know, I think both Edward and I agree that looking inward is the first step towards getting free in this life. And by nourishing our inner life, I think we can all help each other find that strength and that light and that wisdom to continue fighting these brave and necessary fights, but to also do it as happier and healthier people. So please join us. Know that you're not alone in your journey to be well. Let us walk with you. And yeah, I would love to just kind of close with a prayer that any goodness or merit that may be generated by our time here together, we can offer and dedicate freely and generously to all beings everywhere without exception. And may all beings be happy, 
healthy and wise and may all beings be liberated. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Edward. Sending much joy and much gratitude for you. And I'm sending my deepest prayers for your total well-being and your liberation. <laughs> Thank you. And I for yours. And I'm looking forward to the lecture, the interviews tomorrow morning. Awesome. See you around, guys. Bye, Edward. Bye. <laughs> Thank you, I, for being our guest on the To Be A Yogi podcast. Special thanks to Brian Dahl, and that's B-R-Y-I-N-D-A-L-L, -L, for the music you're hearing in the background right now. And just a reminder, if you go to themindfulrevolutionsummit.com, you can sign up and be a part of that workshop. Special thanks also to Lindsay Kimura for recommending the Mindful Revolution Summit. And most importantly, thank you to you listening to this podcast right now. To the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us, and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Namaste. Stay.